He's doing it all himself. <laughs> all right. I'm just a co- guest co-host. So well, we're back with my <laughs> guest co-host, Josh Hill, <laughs> from the Frontline team. And we're back with Ron Sarno, survivor of the Our Lady of Angels fire in 1958. We've covered a lot of ground, and it's been amazing to actually hear this insight from you. But I wanted to touch, I wanted to go back, and I know you, the survivors have reunions, and you guys go to Hillside, to the cemetery, and stuff like that. Are you part of that? Do you participate in that stuff? I I, I go to the milestone um, the, at the, um, they used to have the uh, anniversary masses at um, the church on Roosevelt. It's a, it's a fireman's church. Um, do you know which one I'm talking about? It's and Roosevelt by um, Halstead. Would that be St. Ignatius over by Engine? No, it's right next to St. Ignatius. Oh, okay. But anyway, they would have anniversary masses. So I went, I would go to the, you know, 25th, 50th, and uh, I went to the 60th and the 60, 65. And the 60th and 65, they had it at the OLA church, Our Lady of the Angels Church. So the 60th and the 65th anniversary. So yes. that, was that your first time back into that? And since yes, you left the neighborhood, right? Wow! And I remember the the um, I think it was the sixtieth. They had it on the day of the, of the fire, December first, and um, the, the they were doing a mass, and it was it was around two thirty three o'clock, and I walked out of the church while the mass was going on, and I looked towards the area where the school used to be. And I was thinking about where I was 50 years ago, hanging out of a window and, you know. Right. That's crazy. At that time, 50 years ago. Well, I know that the the ground where the building actually stood now is that um, it's a, like a dispensary for food and stuff like that. They have the nuns um, handing out uh, food and stuff like that for the like the homeless people in the neighborhood and stuff like that. But there was, and I, I posted this on our social media, they had, taken, they had taken the statue and moved the statue to a different church. And when they redid the church part, they actually brought her back. Yes. And um, I, I wanted to know, did, did that mean anything to you? Was that something that, because the survivors were the ones who, were part of bringing it back and the survivors were also involved in redoing the church and putting the church back together. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? I I just uh, heard about the statue on the news. I just saw it on the news and thought that was a nice thing. But they built a monument there several years ago with all the names of the children and the nuns. Right, I, I saw it. It's yeah. right out in front of the church. Right, and that meant more to me than... I know there's a lady, she's a survivor, and she's trying to get the city of Chicago to build a monument by um, the Chicago River there downtown, but the aldermen aren't going for it, so she's trying. But yeah, these aldermen, they probably want to put another Starbucks in somewhere. Yeah, I wonder what the resistance is. I, who, it's got to be money. Yeah. It's always money. But... Um, uh, 
you know, it should never be forgotten. You know, that's that's what I, it's Chicago history. and They do have an, an, a similar monument, like the one that's in front of the church has, that they have out in uh, that, uh, at Hillside. Right. It's the same kind of um, things in, uh, your brother and sister are, it, they're in alphabetical order. They're they're right by each other in the in in the engravings. Uh, do you go out there? Uh, the one you're talking about is um, is like a after the fire, there was a mass of funeral a, a funeral mass for I think it was 27 or 30 of the children, and they were all uh, at one funeral mass and they were all buried in the same in in the same area. Right. They took that little corner right, right there. Yeah. Next to the children's cemetery. And my mother and father had a separate um, place in Mount Carmel. The mass uh, graves are by, uh, are in Queen of Heavens, but we had a separate, separate mass, separate, um, separate uh, Burial. Oh, they weren't with the group of 27. No. That was at a National Guard armory well, or something. Correct. It was a huge building, right? Yeah, that National Guard armory is right down the street from uh, where I used to work, Firehouse, right down Kedzie. Kedzie, right. And I, I pass that every day. Yeah. And I didn't know that that's where they had the uh, services. Right. And you see a video of you have guardsmen, carrying the caskets and they had all the caskets lined out and I had no idea that that's where I mean that must have been the biggest venue they could find at the time because uh, yeah, probably yeah, they said 7,000 people were there at that at that uh, mass yes I've, I've seen pictures and yeah it's just videos. packed um, and I, my brother and sister were at a, a separate uh, church they went, to, and it wasn't Our Lady of the Angels. Our Lady of the Angels wouldn't take any of the children that died in the fire because there were too many of them. And the only services they had, they were for the nuns. Really? Uh, you know, the funeral mass. So we, I think the, I, rem I remember the funeral home was on Western and Grand, Rago Funeral, Rago, Rago was the name of the funeral home. And the church. That's still there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the church was um, maybe Our Lady Help of Christians. On, uh, I think it's on Leclerc off of Chicago <coughs> Avenue. Did you attend that service at the armory? Or your family? No, or no? no, no. That was during our service, too. So oh, it was simultaneous? Okay. The wakes. In those days, they, they would wake for two or three days, people. Really? So I, I remember, I think my brother and sister will wake for two days. And then... And then the funeral, I remember, was on a Saturday. And then next Monday, I was in school. Well, Wait, you're, you're, the funeral was Saturday, and Monday, you were back at right, school. Right. Crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck on that, too, from, <laughs> yeah. from an hour ago. I'm still stuck on that, too. Well, uh, let's, let's put ourselves in modern times. If that was to happen, the kid would be out for a month. He would have all kinds of... Uh, child services, he would almost be mandatorily told he'd have to go to some sort of treatment. Um, and the list goes on and on of how we would oh, yeah. treat a child who would go through a similar instance. 
Um, so it's just amazing to me that you guys were basically told walk it off, and then you're told by the church to just have faith and don't ever talk about it. There was also the Catholic Church paid out a ton of money because of that, and I think that that was also uh, one of the reasons that they wanted you guys just to be quiet this whole time. Correct. Um, the the uh, financial uh, repercussions of what they were doing. Correct. You would know better than I would, and I don't know, Josh, if through you, your studying about this, were did the Catholic Church take any blame for this, or did they accept any responsibility for this fire? I don't think they did. <clears throat> I, I to, to what you're talking about, Vince, about they did pay out people, and I remember the amount because my mother and father talked about it. If you lost a child, you got $7,000. Jesus Christ. Which <laughs> today is nothing. In those days, it was But still, e even in those days, it's still nothing. And I, th your father, you told me... He didn't. The didn't. Re, it didn't bring his children right. back. That's what he would always say. Right. And we got fourteen thousand because we had right. two, and the children that were injured, they they got more money for like disability and which they deserved. But it was a couple million dollar payoff from the church. And to the Catholic Church is nothing if you, yeah. if you think about the the big picture. But and you know, and not not to assess blame or to criticize what they're doing is it's just that the children got no help. They weren't providing any help. And, and obviously it's because we didn't know then what we know now about PTSD and survivor's guilt and all that, you know, uh, these veterans were still coming home from World War II with, uh, yeah. battle shell fatigue, shock, right? yeah, battle, battle fatigue, fatigue and shell yeah. shock. Right. So we didn't, we just were ignorant of it. What did you learn when you started to um, seek therapy and get help, uh, mostly for your addiction, but then did they dive back into the root cause of everything or did they just treat you for your addiction and didn't dig further? Corey, if you can put your drink down for one second, I want to tell everybody that this episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Chicagoland 1-800-BOARD-UP. Chicagoland 1-800-BOARD-UP. Two questions are likely to be asked in rapid succession when a building is damaged by a storm, flood, or other natural disasters. How bad is the damage and how can I secure the building? Well, there's actually three questions. Is the beer cold? Is the beer cold? And... <laughs> How can we provide this beer to the victim? How, how do we keep with proper the assistance? Beer cold? <laughs> um, you guys have seen the logo out there. You guys know. I mean, what's everyone's seen this this Dalmatian, right? We're in the red helmet. Yep, Chicagoland one eight hundred board up. And the reason you guys have seen that is because they're out there and they're helping us out every day. Um, they spent ten years supporting the fire department, and um, and again, you you guys know their name. You guys have seen their logo, and that's because you know they're doing right by uh, by victims out there. Yep, their victim assistance program, which takes somebody whose house has been damaged by fire or wind or water 
they'll take them from the initial damage to the restoration to moving them back into the residence. This is a program that's not just a board up service. Chicagoland 1-800 board up is more than just a board up company with their victim assistance and over 10 years of supporting the fire service. Yes, um, I remember in my 20s, I, I went to a psychiatrist because people were telling me I was crazy, you know, you know, for my drug use. And, and I agreed. They were saying that with, without knowing your circumstance? Uh, some knew, some didn't. Okay. You know, friends. Sure. And I remember that the uh, psychiatrist, he was very good. He was a young guy. And he told me, that we were going to have, I guess he felt that I had a lot of guilt and we were going to have a conversation with my sister, like my sister was sitting across from me. Okay. But he said, we're going to do that next time you come. And, um, but the other thing is you have to stop drinking and using drugs or I won't see you anymore. And that was a deal breaker for me. Okay, so I, you didn't go back. I never went back. So you didn't have that conversation. Right. But okay. to, to your point, yes, that's they, they saw it, that that was. You know, there, I'm not an expert, but I, I have a friend that's a drug counselor, and he says there's th basically three reasons why people get addicted. One is um, hereditary. You know, alcoholism could be very hereditary. Mm-hmm. The other one is environment, and the last one is trauma, and that's the one that I probably fell into. Probably, yeah, right. I, I think we can I all agree. So. <laughs> I'm not an expert yeah. either, but right. but your fa your father was not an alcoholic. No, your mother wasn't an alcoholic. No, so I mean, it kind of. I a grandfather that drank a lot of wine, but he was sure. From the old country. Whose grandfather does from it? the old country? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Whose grandfather but, does uh, it? Right. <laughs> So, that, you know, that's pretty much, but, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, paint me as like a victim. Everybody has adversity, you know, and I, I, that's the last thing I want to do is come off as poor me. Sure. Oh, I, I, I feel I, I'm not fortunate. hearing that at all. I, I didn't get any of that from anything that I, I saw you in so far. So I think you're, you're doing a pretty good job so far. Thank you. You're not, you're yeah. definitely not coming off as that. No, no, no. But I, I think anybody who knows the, the least amount about your condition can agree that, yeah, you, you did suffer some major trauma, and you should at least get a little bit of leeway when it comes to sure. how you were dealing with Yeah, I think it's that. an amazing story of resilience, honestly. I'm inspired yeah. by hearing it, to be honest. I, I just want to say about um, the Catholic Church, and I think it was 2008, I received a letter from the archdiocese from somebody high up. It was a type letter, very personable to me, telling me that they're offer, they wanted to offer me, they would pay for any psychiatrist that I oh, okay. was willing to go to. I could pick them and... Okay, see, and, now that restores my faith. Yeah. That, I mean, how... 
this was in 2008? Yeah, 50 <laughs> years. Too right. little, too late. You had, had you had already come your addiction by then? Oh, yeah. I was, I, I, I'm, I'm sober since 1987. No kidding. That's amazing. So, um, But, I mean, they meant well. Sure. I mean, better late than never. Right. Right? Because yeah. who knows? Maybe there's some uh, survivors who's still out there that could utilize that, that help. Yeah, right. Uh, you mean you managed to pull through the other side relatively unscathed, but... The fact that they they finally came to their senses and was like, "Hey, we got to help these kids from 1958." Right. It's about time. I wonder yeah. how many <laughs> took them up on it. You know, it's. I hope everybody did. Yeah. I hope everybody did because, and, I know that you may be without any symptoms at all, but you're who knows what in when we had um, Chris Fields in here and he. Thought he was perfectly fine. Uh, Chris Fields is a firefighter from the Oklahoma City bombing. Who was you saw the picture of him carrying yeah. the oh, the yeah. baby. He was. They're putting in a pool, and it started to rain. And the smell of the rain and the concrete together, like put him. That was it for him. But up until then, he really he said he really wasn't having any issues with it. But. So I hope everybody took him up on that offer because whether you're symptomatic or not, you still went through a pretty good trauma as a 10-year-old. Yeah. I still have the letter in case I need to use it. Hey. So you know, why not? Hold that. Yeah, yeah. Hold on to that one. Don't, Might want to hold on don't, to that don't, don't throw that out. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned about like the, the smells um, of certain, like a campfire maybe wouldn't bother you but other types of fires might and like you know you're talking about the concrete dust and things like that and i've read and i've heard that smell is the, the sense biggest trigger biggest yeah. trigger for memory you know and i've i've noticed that too sure in work stuff and have you 100 oh, percent. Yeah, yeah there's a certain smell where it'll be like oh my goodness there's like you know the good smells and then the, there are the bad smells that yeah there's the bad ones and then there's the like the, the really yeah. sad one you know but like yeah. there's the it, but anyways so that have you seen that being like the most significant sense that 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 takes it back like you're just there yes the yeah. smell or sirens smile or sirens sirens you know because you hear so many of them i'm used to it now but the smell and, and it's usually a house house fire or some kind of building fire yeah probably because they have the chemicals and yeah it's a different it's a smell. different type of smoke yeah but for I, sure there's that smell yeah because you are a survivor and you overcame your addiction to that. Is there anything that you could say to somebody? And I, I'm trying to circle this back to people who are listening to our podcast who maybe might need some help with mental health. We, we always advocate getting help, getting treatment, talking to somebody. And you've been through it and you've overcame it. Is there any advice you can give to somebody who might be listening that might be going through a hard time? Well, the, the, the advice is get help if you need it. I couldn't do it by myself. Um, as I mentioned, I went to a, a, psychi a couple of psychiatrists, and these were good people that wanted to help me, but uh, I wasn't ready. You know. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you think you have to be ready? Do you have to like just let it run its course? For me... And, you know, I'm still in, involved with 12-step uh, meetings, and and I see so many people in and out, and basically you have to be ready. 
Now it's it's the idea of getting to the point. Are you going to die before you're ready? Yeah. And um, unfortunately, I I didn't, but a lot of people do. Um, but for me, you know, I I always knew I was off, and um, so I, I tried to get help, but not until I was ready. I talked about my little daughter at that point, and um, where I knew I was going to die. And then I started asking around, hey, how do you, you know, I knew there was a person that had to abstain. There was no, well, I'll drink on weekends or I'll get right. high on weekends. I was a person that, nothing, you know. So you were an all or nothing guy. Right. One's too many, a thousand's not, not enough. But how do you do that? And that's when I talked to somebody and said, hey, you can go to these meetings. And that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And in in the process of getting sober is how I gained san- sanity and uh, maybe helping other people to help me. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You, you also said that you came to terms with your sister's death, uh, and, but that wasn't until a long, long time. Was that part of your recovery? Did, did you come to terms with it after you got sober and started going through doing the meetings and therapy and everything? Um, I think that helped, you know, um, not looking at things through a bottle. And, um, you know, the way I look at it now, hey, I was a 10-year-old boy. How could, you know, I right. barely, barely saved myself. And uh, I, for, I, forgave, I forgave myself, and I know she would forgive me. Yeah. That's that's why I do this. That's why I talk about it. Yeah, you know, for their memory. What do you want? What do you want people to know about um, Billy and Joanna? You know, besides, you know, they left way too soon. You know, my brother was, you know, he was an artist. He was he was a, I think he was the youngest person to ever get a scholarship at the Art Institute downtown. My father used to drive him there on Saturdays, and really, yeah, it was, it and was, he was he was, I'm, forgive me, he was younger, right? No, he was older. He was older. He was, he was in eighth grade. I, I eighth grade, okay. Eighth grade, and uh, so he had tremendous talent, and he loved Indians, drawing Indians, and I, I still have. You his still drawing. have that picture with the teepees? Yes. And the yeah, yeah. And I have another uh, one. We have it at our, we have it at our house. It's on a uh, maybe a thirty six by. 18 inch piece of wood and he painted the last supper it's, really? a, it's amazing that a, a, a young boy would do that yeah and that's just raw talent at yeah. that point yeah we yeah. had a, he had a talent yeah and my sister she was just a lovable little girl you know now i have a granddaughter <laughs> you know i had a daughter but it seems like granddaughters are different and i look at her sometimes and i see my sister in her yeah, yeah. so oh that's pretty but awesome. it, that know, is awesome yeah and that generation doesn't exist if you don't overcome, you know, all of this. So that, you know, you're, you're a survivor twice. Let's recognize that. I yeah. mean, 1958 <laughs> and 1987, yeah. You've, you're a double survivor. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm one of the lucky ones that both ways. Yeah. I know, Josh, you wanted to talk about like, you know, the firefighters and stuff like that, but CFD rescued 160 kids that day. Yeah. And th- that when you see the videos of it, that you're not really seeing them saving anybody. They're pulling out dead children. Well, by the time those cameras are set up, yeah. and things, right? This is right. L- this so is later on, right? That 
that part of the fire department is missed because you're not seeing the work that those guys did prior to those cameras being turned on. You're only seeing the aftermath. Right. Just think about how hard those guys were working. Oh, yeah. I mean, to the point where you're like, let's tie a rope around this fence and pull it out. And I don't know about you, but I've always thought with this work, yeah, you know, just right. putting a chain on it. I, yeah, I always thought about putting a chain on. Well, like, like the police do with the SWAT team. Yeah, vehicle. exactly. Don't they punch through like that. Yeah, yeah. It, Not a tactic they teach, Ron. <laughs> it's just that's not off the cuff. Yeah, ingenuity is what firefighter ingenuity is what right. those guys were doing. Right. Yeah, it, it was some veteran being like, grab that rope. Yeah, and you knew how to tie a knot, which uh, <laughs> right. you know, which is a fifty-fifty shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. I'm. I'm. You know that the tragedy of it and. Yeah, in the same time, it was really for CFD, I mean, to make over 160 rescues. But you can't, like, pat yourself on the back for that, right, because of the loss of life. But it was still an immense rescue operation. And just the, the story, you know, that you told about Joe Murray and, you know, about Engine 43 and these things, like, you know, the, the achievements and the bravery is, is, is overshadowed by the, you know, people try to keep it in perspective, because nobody wants to celebrate uh, a, a 95 loss of life, right? So, but it, it is definitely worth talking about. It, 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 at the very least, needs to be acknowledged that there would be more loss of life if Absolutely. these guys were could, these yeah. tough veterans that you're showing up for kids, and that changes everything, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You're showing up to a school, and you know that there's kids inside. You show up to a, a house fire, and you know that one person's inside. That changes the game. Could you imagine showing up to a school fire there, you know, with hundreds. hundreds and hundreds of kids inside? Right. I can't, I, it's, it's hard to even put yourself in that situation. And I don't know the, the story, but I know it was, it was more common back then of where you would work in your neighborhood firehouse. Like, you wouldn't be kind of all over the city. I'm now that I, it just came to me, it'd be interesting to hear of like how close they were to that. You know what I mean? My wife's grandfather was a Chicago fireman uh, on truck 31 and they had a lightning strike. He had a fire in his own house in the middle of the night. <laughs> so he, they, the address comes in over the speakers and everyone's just, you know, getting up, getting ready for the fire like normal. And he's like, get your ass up, get your boots on. That's my house. You know? And he, he gets to the house, you know, and his, his wife's out front. Don't go in there. What are you doing? He's like, I'm a fireman, you know, and they run in. So it's, it's an amazing story of just, but he's responding in his own district and it's his house. You know, and I wonder how much of that. My understanding for these is that that was common practice to work in the area that, right. that you lived. And when you saw the map of where the children who passed away lived, there wasn't a street that didn't have a kid who passed away in that like for blocks and blocks and blocks so you you couldn't escape it and if you were a responding company because there were hundreds of firemen that responded to that i don't know how we haven't gotten to a story where there wasn't a fireman who didn't have a child right in that right and i don't know why it didn't come to me until now but or maybe they were the baseball coach for the neighborhood sure. or this or that you know right. that, they had it's very some connection to that to that school it's very possible uh, and, and i mean just look at it uh joe murray went to that he went to that school right and so he knew what the address was but unfortunately right. if he went to that school he probably lived in the neighborhood and then right. his kids probably went you know that, it's, it's that, possible so, so I, maybe that is something that 
is another part of this story that somewhere in you know a journal somewhere yeah is a fireman who responded to our lady of angels fire whose kid was actually there there the odds are i think pretty good i think there was are you familiar with the i think i remember a story of uh, a fireman that lost a daughter maybe really never heard it in yeah. reading reading the book re- you know in the documentary so that's but um but just mathematically speaking there should be right yeah yeah joe was joe murray was um he was from familiar with the layout yeah. that's why he went inside welcome back to the next episode of will joey matthews answer josh hill's phone call here we go take two i'm calling my boss the leader of the frontline mortgage team Joey Matthews. Hey, you reached Joey Matthews. Sorry I missed your call, but if you can leave me a brief message, including your name and your preferred contact number, I will be sure to get right back to you. Have an amazing day. That was part two of Will Joey Matthews answer Josh Hill's phone call? here on Chicago's Bravest Stories. He has not. He probably thinks I got some kind of drama with a loan file or something. But um, anyways, he's our he's the leader of the frontline team. Uh, many people, if you ask around, have worked with him. The guy is as solid as they come. Um, sets a high standard for the team. So if he answered the phone, we could ask him about that. But <laughs> actually, I'm leaving a message right now, and he's my boss, so I'm not going to do that. All right, boss, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. That episode of Will Joey Answer brought to you by the Frontline Mortgage Team. You you were talking about um, that you had heard stories of Joe just going in there, grabbing belts, and just tossing kids out the window. And um, it, it, to put yourself in Joe's shoes where you have to make that decision and you know he's experiencing the same conditions that you were experiencing prior to you going out where there was zero visibility the heat was already hot enough that the opposite end of the room was already making things so hot and he's going in there on his hands and knees just grabbing finding belts and then tossing kids out the window because that was their their only chance to survive better kid with a broken leg broken hip yep. than you know uh, uh, than dying in that that classroom did you ever go back to that classroom prior to the fire in the, before it was repaired uh, just from outside from I, outside they wouldn't let you go in the building yeah my classroom the roof was caved in and <clears throat> burnt yeah but um did you take anything from that fire? Like, was there anything that meant something to you to take in there that that you kept? No. No. It was just I, a clean slate, huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I in the uh, documentary on WTTW, they interviewed Joe Murray. You know, he's passed. He, he died in 1988, and um, he said. You know, I did what I could do. And that's how he felt about it. He wished he could have got more. 
but he pro- he's probably the reason I'm sitting here. Yeah. All the research that I was able to do with, you know, people who, who know things like this says that that, that was like 99% that that was who threw you out the window. I would say that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, well, Joe. it is, let's just call it history from now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's call um, it. Yeah, but, but in that time, um, and you mentioned, you know, he's crawling around, you know, Joe Murray's crawling around in there and all these other firefighters. Now they have, you know, the code and in, in the gear of the, of the time, 1950s. And they have more, they're more acclimatized to some smoke. You know, they've, they've experienced it before. There was no breathing apparatus, but they still have human lungs. So they're not, there's nothing that's getting them, you know, a, a huge advantage over you like we have now where we can actually go in and be protected from those things, right? So that, that really adds to it when you think of that time. Like they're, I mean, yeah, they, had, they were protected from things falling on their head with their helmet, but it, it wasn't providing, the gear wasn't really providing any thermal protection and certainly their lungs weren't, you know, protected at, at that time, so. Just a brave guy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and all of them, right, right. Well, you hear these old timers um, talk about the uh, Chicago Fire Department, and um, we've had people come on that when they went to the academy, and these are people like truly old school firemen when you went to the academy, and it was like a month long, and they said all you needed was uh, balls and a tool. It's like if, <laughs> if it. you had balls and a tool, you could you could go to work. And that's that's what these guys, you know, the, in that magazine right there in front of you. Yeah, that's what these guys these guys right. showed up with. Right. Look at how young they are too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, Dick Scheid. Uh, we're all for <laughs> for the listeners. Oh yeah, it's an audio. <laughs> we're, we're looking at the <laughs> Life. Ma- is that the actual? This is the actual Life magazine. Is it really? That, yes. And I'm like, that's why I'm daintily touching right. it. I feel like it's a museum piece. Yeah. And and Ron's just letting me handle this, <laughs> but I'm like like folding it like I'm in Josh uh, has National the Archives. Actual um, magazine from the uh, is it is that the this is the Life what, magazine life, and this from is 1958 volume 45 number 24 from December 15th of 1958. Dang. So this is their coverage of it, and I'm handling it with white gloves in a <laughs> humidity controlled environment, <laughs> like I'm at the Smithsonian, and there's actually some pictures in here that I haven't scene um of this one here uh with the full you know well, what, what are you what are you seeing that that maybe we haven't seen in oh previous? well they have pictures from interior uh, after the fire that i haven't really seen um floor completely burned away here i mean i heard a story and i don't i'm hesitant to to sit to tell this story with Ron here because I don't I don't know if it's I don't I don't want to say if it's too graphic but it was one of the first stories I ever heard about the and it it prompted me to like look into it and be interested in in the history of the fire but um and Ron if if it's bothersome just stop me and we'll move on because I already have my next subject. But um, two firemen were, and this is like passed down through the generations, and I don't know how much of it is just anecdotal 
between firemen and then you know how it you know how it works by the time you get to the real story which is one of the reasons this podcast exists yeah right but they were walking through a hallway and he's like hey watch watch the floor is spongy you know don't you know that's not be careful where you step the floor is spongy and this is like initially right after uh, the initial fire and they finally brought a light up to them and it wasn't the floor that was spongy it was victims did you hear that story i have yeah yeah um and like that's that's how bad this this fire was um and uh, have you heard like stuff like that before um i I never heard i never heard that one yeah Um, but you know on 95 children it's a lot of children well it, it it's something that especially you know december 1st rolls around somebody's passing on that story it's one that i've i've heard when i got to the chicago fire department and i don't know if you know obviously it's just one of those stories that are going to get passed around through the ages and i'm I'm not helping stopping that story no. by by telling it here, but um, certainly feasible. It it yeah it, you know especially with with Ron here and and talking us through the layout and stuff like that. It it it's certainly feasible. Yeah. Did you do you know if Sister Mary um, survived? No, she died. She didn't. She died. She was one of three. One of the nuns. three. And they said when they found her, <clears throat> she had girl of few girls around her i've i've like I heard to, that account that she was trying to protect them that they did find the nuns with you know covering children or with children around yeah that's why they were heroes in my my view yeah i mean they're doing what what nuns are supposed to do uh yeah there were definitely nuns who, uh who were found with like covering and shielding the children and that's how they were found right. um so there was something dang i had something here um are you still in touch with like um people from that documentary like do i know you talked to connie is there anybody else that you talked to any survivors that you're still close friends with uh connie and i'm trying to think who else there's another fellow george cutro that um um we just started meeting like a few of us from this OLA recently so um but but George was George and Connie were like from my classroom okay so which, which one is George was he he wasn't he, in he was he wasn't in no he wasn't in the documentary um Connie was the only one that I knew personally has, she was has anybody that, like with George or Connie have they sought out any help I, I don't think Connie has. No. Connie's a pretty strong woman. And Connie married uh, another survival, yes, survivor, correct? Steve, her husband. So but I don't think she has. And George, um, I, don't, I don't know. But George was in a section where you walked out. You know, he wasn't trapped. Yeah. But we were in the same grade, but different rooms, different classrooms. I, um, I used to keep in touch with a fellow named Dominic um, Zuccaro. And he was in 210. And um, 
this is not a funny story, but I'll tell it. When after the fire, we were sent to Orr, and we're on the third floor at Orr. That's the public school. Public so this school, is after right, the inventory. On, okay. on Keeler. Okay. And um, we're on the third floor, and I, it was a day in February. It was, well, the fire was in December, and this was February. And, and our, you know, those old schools had those long chimneys. Mm-hmm. Well, somehow they said a plane flew too low or something, and the, and the smoke backed up from the chimney and came through the fence in their classrooms. Oh, Jesus. So now you you have (laughs) survivors, people that jumped out of windows and at the school fire, and they're in in another classroom. They're going through it again. Right. And I remember, all I remember was I looked up, and then I looked outside, and there was Dominic already. (laughs) He was already outside. (laughs) uh, He's been preparing ever since. So that uh, really happened? Yes, and, yep. and that happened to you. you yes, were in the classroom? I was in the classroom. And they told you a plane flew too low. How uh, yeah, low does it have know. to fly but to affect the chimney? The smoke, the smoke backed up into the fence. So wow, that's what they told us. But uh, we so investigate you're sitting that in one. class, and all of a sudden you see smoke coming in the classroom right. again. White. This was white smoke. Jesus. How how like how how far after? Like well, February. Oh. And we were in the fire in December, so three months. God, oh, jeez. We all, we just ran out. We didn't wait for anything. Oh, fire. yeah, right. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and your I buddy's was, already out there. I was yeah. out there with he Dominic. Wasn't, right he there wasn't taking Dominic's any chances. Out. Yeah. But, that, you know, that's... Dominic learned his lesson. He kept going. <laughs> well, I, I don't... I wanted to um, bring this story up to you because you may not um, uh, be aware. We had a gentleman in here named Paul Cialino and he wrote a book called uh, Dead in Six Minutes and it has to do with the uh, Dr. Zidlow who basically um, depending on who you talk to uh, started the whole program of paramedics and the story goes he was in his um, white doctor overcoat and he was um, getting ready to take the bus. He was doing like his rotations or something like that at the hospital. I don't know. I can't remember which hospital it was. But as he was standing there to get on the bus, a police officer drove by and said, you're a doctor? And he's like, yeah. He goes, get in. That police officer was on his way to the Our Lady of Angels fire. So Dr. Zidlow gets out and sees all the chaos that's going on and he felt so helpless that there was nothing that they could do but basically just transport people so from the from his perspective of being at that fire he started to work on a program so that you could have pre-hospital care and emergency medical services um, with the invention of paramedics, paramedics and EMTs. And it all <clears> came from him as a impressionable young, I think he was just a resident or something like that at the time, but he was influenced by witnessing that fire in 1958 from the sidelines. 
Have you heard that, Ron? I never heard that story. I didn't either. But, Vince just, he's got all kinds of but it, but, um, <laughs> nuggets like that. It, that's, that's another good thing that came out of it. Absolutely. You, you know, I just want to say there's probably a thousand, a thousand stories within the main story. Right. Of, you know, like children that went to school that morning and for lunch, because we used to go go home for, for lunch and said, I, I don't feel so good. I'm not, I don't want to go back in the mother's kept them back and then the, the fire uh, do you know of any kids who didn't go to school for some reason I, yeah i heard of a, a couple's incidents where you know or or the one where the child was sick in the morning and, and went back the afternoon Ugh. you know that too but there's so many stories within the story of you know yeah you guys sure. talked about several of them and you know i i i, I can sit here and tell you more and it's just it was a real tragic day. That's that's kind of what I wanted to ask. And, you know, we've seen the documentary and read the book, and we've been talking with you for a while. But what what do you think isn't isn't told that really should be out there? I mean, we already, we already like, you know, I, th- again. Back down I, the Catholic Church already. Yeah. So. yeah. I, again, <laughs> I know I, you, were, I, you were itching to get to that one, Vince. I, I think right. the, the story <laughs> of the nuns, I think yeah. they were very brave. And, well, I, I, I say that. We vindicate the nuns and we vindicate the janitor. Mm-hmm. Both took a beating in the press and in history, but I think it, we can all agree that that in all rights that they should be viewed as heroes for what they did. They did the nuns did the best, and we just talked minutes ago that nuns were found sheltering their children and people are going to vilify them for not executing a rescue that they are not trained on, or they don't even have the foresight to understand the, the concept. And a janitor who laddered a building, because uh, I think uh, Lasarno was he the one who was going to jump out the window and then he saw that the, a ladder was there? And that ladder was placed by the janitor. Yeah, I, I remember that story. And then story. the janitor was the one who went up and unlocked doors that saved hundreds of kids at once because those kids were done. Yeah, they were they trapped. were trapped and they were done. Right. Um, and, and that was the front classroom closest to the stairwell. That it did have a fire exit, but it was locked, so they didn't have hallway access. But they did she, have a second. The, the nun forgot the key. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they, so they were trapped. The one door that they could get out was already engulfed. Yeah. And the other one, she forgot her key. Right. And, and again, they're going to say, well, the nun didn't have the key and this and that, and it looks badly on her. Well, guess what? That should a fire exit be locked? No. And they certainly aren't anymore. Yeah. Right. So, you know. Yeah. That, that's a story right there. Right. She, she didn't have a key. Right. Right. Went for a door that shouldn't have been locked anyways. Yeah. You know, that's the real, you know, right. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. Well, and, and because of things like that, um, none, of the, none of those things can ever happen again. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories is brought to you by Sports and Ortho. If you're a city employee and you get hurt, you have the option to request Sports and Ortho when you're being assigned some physical therapy, right? Yeah, absolutely. We can always choose us. We're on the city plan, so if you want to come to us, we are happy to see you. Yeah, you're, you're not locked into whoever they send you to. You can always make a request to go to a better facility if you'd like, and Sports and Ortho is a good alternative. We think so. 
you got anything else that, that you want to talk about? Uh, hopefully that this has been sort of cathartic for you. Um, you know, you have an opportunity to say anything you want. It's going to be listened by at least five firemen. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe our parents. <laughs> um, I, you know, I just, I, I was sitting here just thinking about my father and mother and, you know, what they went through. I remember, uh, here's another story. I was playing, this was the summer after the fire. And, you know, I lived a block away from the school and the rectory. And I was playing, like, right across the street from the rectory. That was my block. And I remember police cars um, pulling up and running in the rectory. Well, I came to find out that a man went in the rectory looking for the Monsignor, maybe with a gun or a knife. And it was the fire-related. I think he might have lost a child. And I thought it was my father. Really? And just because how angry he was. Yeah. And um, it wasn't, but... Uh, it wouldn't other, have surprised you. If it, it, would, it wouldn't have surprised I remember backing off from the scene because I thought my father was going to come out. Yeah. He was pretty angry. He was angry with God. Yeah. I was too young to be angry with God, just confused. Did you... Did your parents and yourself remain faithful to the church and the beliefs of the Catholic Church since that day? Well, my father really never was. Um, Did he stop going to church? He he, ne- he never went to church that yeah. much anyway. Okay. But my mother used to go to church, and she she continued, but um, my father wasn't going to. He didn't go before, and he wasn't going to go away. He was angry. I think he threw a priest out of our house one time <laughs> that came to talk to us about it. Really? Yeah. Did, did your parents ever come to terms with it before they passed? You know, as well as could be expected. How do, how do you come to terms with losing two children at, yeah. at the young age? But, you know, I saw I, I saw them in their grieving periods, and the, the periods were, you know, you think about it every day, but it, it's not breaking you down every day. Mm-hmm. So somewhat, you know. But your, 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 your dad seemed to be affected by it the most? He, well, he, you, yeah, you said he, he never. He was more emotional and <clears throat> just his personality. Yeah. Uh, my mom, she pretty held it in and kept to herself. But it was it was rough watching them go through that too. Yeah. I you know I I had the um, grace of being young. You know when you're young, you don't really truly understand a lot of things. And even today, when I start, like the other day, I was thinking about something. About related to the fire, and I had to shut my brain down right away and not think about it. You know, yeah, take me out of that. It wasn't. Be, it wasn't because I called you and asked you no, to come on the podcast. Right. Right. Was hey, it comes. Yeah. Up, I know you don't like to think about it a lot. Would you like to come and talk about it for a few <laughs> yeah. hours? Yeah, no, I, I uh, things <laughs> things come up, right? And I just put it out of my mind. Yeah, don't dwell on it. Well, I I think that you, at the very least, Ron, coming here, you've offered some sense of resiliency to people who may be on the fence right now or who maybe think that you may not be feeling great that there's you can get back from anything right um i think at least at the very least your story would help somebody who thinks that they're too far gone because if you can overcome this um i think 
anybody can overcome anything. I, th- I think that's the big story here too, especially for the, the listener base of this, which is, you know, I mean, people that are interested in, in this, but it's, you know, fire, you know, police in that community and, and the things that, you know, something as terrible as that, that you can, you know, come through it and there's more on the other side. And then, you know, even coming out, like I said, it's, you've, you've, you're a double survivor. You survived twice. So that's, I think that could be really inspirational a lot in our business and out and outside, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. I think that that story of resilience is, is really huge here. Yeah. We could, we could talk about stories about the fire all day long, but at, at the end of the day, it's your resiliency that, that means more to me talking to you and having you in the studio than anything about the fire. Thank you. So it, it, it is what it is. It's tragic, 1958, but here you are right here, sitting right here today. I, You're going to be in Mexico soon, getting warm, <laughs> well, getting a tan. Right. <laughs> I've had, I want to say I, I've, I, I am a survivor, but I had a lot of help to get through it. Well, you, you, it's exactly what we want. Like, yeah. you had to get some help. You had help. You didn't do it alone. You no, couldn't I, have done it alone, right? No, I never. My my remedies were laughable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you tried. You yeah. tried your way. It didn't work. Yeah, yeah, many times. Yeah. yeah. Thankfully, we're getting more into where that is. It's not only encouraged; it's expected. You know, I mean, yeah. think about all these firefighters that responded to that. Like they didn't go to any There's CISD. No there was no no EAP. EAP no nothing like <laughs> nothing. that. You know, they just manned up. Yeah, they I mean, and that's well, and what they that, do. There, that was a different generation too, where. You were supposed to man up, and these guys these guys were manning up before they got there. Yeah. And now they had to man up. Right. They manned up after Iwo Jima, and now they got this. And, <laughs> right. you know, but it's, you know, that that's true. But um, but they're still human beings. Yeah. You know, there's no way that didn't trickle down to their lives. Yeah. You know? I mean, and, look and, at that guy right there on the cover. We, we know for a fact he's one of the hardest guys on the job. Right. And he was more than all accounts still shaking to the day he died about it yeah so yeah he's a human being just like everybody else right and we look at this generation and we look at the the heroics and stuff but i think it's important to recognize that 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 that's still on the rigs right now you know that's still there that that's not like it's a unique thing that only you know was during that time that's that's still happening now you know but thankfully when these terrible things do happen we can you know we have more resources well hopefully yeah i mean yeah you look at these pictures these guys have no protective gear. Right, right. No uh, ex- no air tanks, no gloves, no nothing of that. And, but what do you think they could have done had they had that modern technology in 1958? Sure. Could they have saved more kids? Sure. Probably. I, I would have to adventure that they could have saved at least one more kid, right? Yeah. They didn't even have booster tanks on the rigs back then. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't even carry water. Yeah. Carrying water on the rig hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. And some of the ladders didn't even make it up to the second floor. Sure. Really? A, a lot of neighbors came with their own ladders. I've heard that, right. too. Yeah. I've heard that, too. Yeah. Because, yeah, you see all those ladders there, and you're like, those aren't all fire ladders. Right. You know? They're, you know, you got a five-foot ladder yeah. trying yeah. to make it to the second floor. What do they call this generation? The greatest generation. The greatest generation. generation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even the greatest generation, maybe Dick Scheid could have talked to somebody and maybe made himself feel better. Uh, the point about if they could have saved one more person, we know now, just like we have better gear and we're smarter about it, that it's still, just because they didn't use it doesn't mean that 
it's not good for us now that we have it. Sure. You know, <laughs> sure. They would have loved, you think yeah, Dick Scheid would have loved to have an air pack and oh, gloves I'm, and, you better believe and it. bunker gear to go on. He would have gone in there or yeah. Joe Murray. Joe how, Murray. How, think about how many. He could have stayed in there. He could have stayed. He could have yeah. crossed the hall. Yeah. He could have made it across the hall. Even with a flashover? No, not that. I mean, now you're getting <laughs> but, to that, but, but he, he did smoke. He's he, going to. He, maybe he took a line in. Yeah. With him. Maybe he took a pump can or something. Who, yeah. Who knows? We never like to play the what if game here, but um, with what we know about mental health now, we should be utilizing it just like if we went back in time and we're getting we're able to give Dick Scheid an air tank and a. Oh, I see where you're going with that. Okay, you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah <laughs> it took yeah. a while to get there. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> I'm the guest host. His his normal co-hosts channel these things, and uh, I let I'm letting Vince drive because I'm a guest. But I get I get what you're saying there, and it's very pertinent and, and very well put. Thanks, I, thanks. <laughs> no Somebody's going to have to listen to that part about three times before they get what I'm yeah, that's what I'm trying a, to say. That's going to be a blurb. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so if I'm going to give you the last word here, Ron, if you have anything you want to say and then we'll wrap it up. But uh, yeah, I, I can't thank you enough. I, I'm so yeah. honored to have you here and I'm glad that you actually responded back to me, which is a surprise to me every time I send something like this out that somebody would actually respond back to me. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. And like I said before, I... Um for obvious reasons, I hold a special place in my heart for firefighters and first responders, and um, it's my honor to be here. Um, and as I said many times, I, I talk about this, and I'm so grateful that I'm able to. And uh, just to keep, it's his, Chicago history, um, and I want to keep the memory of my brother and sisters uh, alive, their memory alive. So thanks, thanks for having me, sir. Really, you guys, great Absolutely. questions. Absolutely, an honor for me. And you know, like I said, that the story of the resilience is what I'm going to, you know, tell tales of. And from being in this room with you, Ron, and um, getting to see you personally, and, and and guys will enjoy listening to this and hearing that so. story. So. But you know, I'm going to be telling this firsthand to. You know, and that, that story of resilience really, really strikes me. And I, I just, I'm so grateful and I really appreciate you coming in, Ron. Thank you. That was Chicago's Bravest Stories with Ron Saro. Thanks, Ron, for being here. Thank you. The opinions and views are that of Chicago's Bravest Stories and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments, fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations.